Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We have the ethos that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity, because movement is part of what makes your life complete. We interview people in the movement field who have a variety of experiences, educations, and professional titles. At the end of the day, we all want to move more, and we want our clients, athletes, and patients to move more, move better, and move more efficiently. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They are well-known in and outside of the movement and exercise professions. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge and information to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people and not working on their social media presence. Before we get to the interview, a quick request. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share the podcast with your friends or anyone who understands that movement is a lifestyle. We appreciate it and our guests appreciate it too. Welcome back to another edition of Movement is a Lifestyle. As you heard in the intro, we try to interview interesting people. And oftentimes, our most interesting interviews come from recommendations from past interviews. Tonight's guest was recommended to us by triathlete and personal trainer Nick Baldwin. Today, we are with New Zealander, and I will probably butcher one of his names, so please correct me if I'm wrong. Reese Crosswell, who is an ultra runner, works with children who have autism, and does a variety of things. As he was saying when we were chatting beforehand, if he can do it outside, he would prefer to do it outside as opposed to work indoors. So Reese, thank you for taking time to work with movement or moving to live. No worries, Ben. Absolute pleasure. One of the questions I always ask or I start out with is I ask people for their 30-second elevator spiel, and I'm going to break that a little bit with you because you are in Australia, but you're originally from New Zealand. And I would imagine there is a story or an adventure of how did somebody from New Zealand end up with in Australia? Well, it was uh, after high school, I um, wanted to go on an adventure and I, I, I was really into surfing um, as a teenager. So I looked up um, some places around Australia that had, you know, good waves and places that would be cool to live. And uh, my mum and dad said, oh, you should go to Western Australia. You've got, um, you know, a great auntie there that will, that will be able to put you up. And uh, I said, yeah, cool. Like, I'll go there and I'll, you know, make some money and I'll go surfing. Um, so I went to Australia and um, I remember saying to my mum, oh, I'll be like six months. Um, and then, yeah, about, about 13 years now, I've still been here and I'm married to an uh, Australian and I've got a daughter. So. <laughs> There seems to be a trend. I know uh, Nick is originally from Great Britain and married an Australian lady. And we interviewed a sleep researcher who was in Australia a few years back who was originally from Ireland. He's Irish. And he also met an Australian lady. So there must be something about meeting women who live in Australia and saying, you know, this is a great place to settle down. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're alluring. They're, they're, They're good people in Australia. And it's a wonderful place to live. So it's very easy to settle down here. Be careful if you come traveling. You'll you'll probably want to live there. <laughs> so my second question, which is usually my first question for guests, is you get in an elevator and the elevator gets stuck and somebody says, so Reese, what do you do? What's your elevator spiel as far as what you do in life? Um, so I have two hats or a few different hats, but um, the first part of my uh, sort of job or working week is uh, working with kids with autism. Um, I do that at a primary school, so uh, young young children, and predominantly working outside in um, 
like a kitchen garden program that I created. Um, and the other half of my week or the other, the other hat I wear is a running uh, trail uh, ultra running coach. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my main sort of jam. And for people who maybe don't understand, uh, what is a kitchen garden and how did you get the idea or where did you get the idea for saying this would be a great learning experience or a learning opportunity for kids with autism? I would imagine it's good for a lot of kids, given the way people in Western society eat now where vegetables and fruits are sometimes looked at as weird or obscure when all, all the fast food is available. Yeah, so um, the the principal at my school is very um, very open to like um, you know integrative learning and stuff. So um, and and the, the program isn't just for um, for kids with autism; it's for the whole school. So all all the children get access to this program, and um, it's just um, it's basically a, like a community garden or a big veggie garden um, that the kids are um, in charge of uh, upkeeping and um, growing the produce. Um, which I sort of facilitate, and the other teachers facilitate, and then we um, show them how to how to cook that and prepare sort of healthy meals, and um, and yeah, and it's uh, it's just a good way to, and you can incorporate you know all the levels of curriculum throughout the program. Like I had um, the kids doing sort of volume and capacity um, mathematics with the garden beds, and um, obviously science is like you know very easy to integrate into the garden. Um, yesterday I was out there with the kids, and we were doing sort of um, study on bees and we were watching the bees and recording their um, their behaviours and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's just a great place to learn and um, it's nice to be outside and um, get a bit dirty and, and, and yeah, move the body and um, eat some veggies when you can. So it's good. I think there's a school in this area that's been, uh, purchased a con- shipping container that they have a garden in and they're using it for a similar aspect. Oh, awesome. And then you mentioned the other half of your hat is you are an endurance coach. And unlike some sports, if you're an endurance coach, if you work with ultra runners, the chances are you are an ultra runner. And I know you are because Nick said you need to talk to him about this ultra run he did that he did on his own. So I guess my question is, how does a surfer get into ultra running? Or were you an ultra runner who did some surfing because it was an excuse to go to Australia? Um. Well, growing up, like running was always, I, I was always into running at school, um, mainly because like I was, I was okay at it. Like it was, you know, I was always sort of up there with, with the, um, the top, the top kids at school. And so, um, naturally I just fell into doing athletics and cross country and stuff, but, um, running had always been like a, um, a way to keep fit to do other sports. So I was, I was always surfing or playing team sports. So, um I would and my dad's uh, um like he was a, a very good marathon runner and he um he ran ultra marathons as well when I was a kid and um so I remember like there was that point where you sort of like you, you're going through puberty and like some of your friends are getting a lot better at your things and some aren't and I remember dad saying well you gotta start training mate like you know you're not going to get any faster if you don't start training so I started getting up in the morning with him and going running and um that was kind of like what I used running for was just to sort of keep fit and um, to sort of aid my other sports. And when I came to Australia, um, I, I sort of grew out, I fell out of love with surfing a bit, like not, not fell out of love, but um, like where I live in Perth, like the waves aren't as good. 
um, as they are down south. And um, I just sort of started looking for other ways to, you know, to keep fit. And I was, oh, yeah, I was, I'm pretty good at running, so I, I'll get back into that. And um, So I started running again in Perth, just doing like half marathon and um, that mm-hmm. sort of distance. Um, and then I had like a really bad um, sort of back injury. Like I, I can't really um, – Put a finger on like exactly the moment or the, the, the experience that I had that, that caused the back injury but it was like um, I had one of those like twinges and then you know I was a bit immobile for a few weeks and then um, that that started like a bit of a, a chronic pain journey for me um, which completely stopped my running um, and then that was a lot of like um, sort of Searching for answers of like, why is my back sore? I was working in construction at that time. Um, so it was kind of like, oh, you're probably doing too much or lifting too like heavy things the wrong way. And um, a lot of the advice I was getting and a lot of the, um, fr- oh, I, I wasn't getting any answers, to be honest, which was frustrating. And um, a lot of the advice I was getting was to not move and to, to be, you know, not not lift things or not um, not run was one of the things I got told not to do. And so mm-hmm. I, was, I was pretty like, um, pretty pretty down about all that and then um sort of like fast forward a bit I was like scrolling Instagram and I, I came across an ad um for endurance movement um which was where I met Nick and Kate and um I just thought oh like I read sort of a bit about Kate and I went oh I'm just gonna go said to my wife I'm gonna go see this chick like she sounds she sounds like a lot different to all the other practitioners I've seen for my back and um and just to paint a picture of like how bad I was, like um, my back was, was like I couldn't put on my socks without um, sort of having to like lie on the bed. And I'd like move my legs up and I'd put my socks on, put my underwear on that way. Like I was, I was, um, yeah, not in a good way. And I, I remember I went to Kate and um, she sort of set me up with, um, she took me out into the gym. And like I'd never, I'd never been to the gym before. Like um, I was like, man, this chick's like, she's going to get me to lift weights, like, <laughs> to fix my back. Like, um, and that was the start of, um, like, sort of my strength and conditioning journey. And I, I just had, like, a, a crazy muscle imbalance, um, you know, and I'd never done any strength and conditioning. And, um, yeah, so I did, after um, doing sort of, like, 12 months of strength and conditioning with Kate, um, I was just, like, a completely different person. And um, I just woke up one day and I was like I feel so good um I'm in the best like physically I feel the strongest I've ever felt um I want to start running again and I want to run I want to see how far I can push this I want to like see how extreme I can like you take this because you know there was a period where I was you know thinking that I couldn't do something or I was you know um doubting my abilities that I suppose and and um now that I feel good, I just want to make the most of every second of that and um, yeah, run as far as I can. And that was when I um, I signed up for a 50K straight away um, and I went and did that 50K without sort of much um, education around like the ultra ultra running style. I, I, I think I went, um, I remember I took like one jowl and I had, um, so, and I had like, I don't know, maybe like 500 mils of water. So I bonked like real bad and I got to the end, but I was, I was like collapsed at the end in front of my wife and 
Um, and that was when I called up Nick and was like, oh, can, can you help me out? I've got this idea. Um, and, and that was when I um, ran, yeah, decided to run the Cape to Cape in Australia. Yeah. Your comment about struggling to the finish line reminds me we interviewed a runner, Paul Thompson, who has been a Masters World Championship at uh, 10,000 meters. And he described his first marathon and he said, you know, I got to 20 miles and I'm paraphrasing. And it suddenly occurred to me that I might actually not finish. And I think one of the things that's so enjoyable about once you get to a marathon distance and farther or a marathon distance, if you're going on trails or where there's significant elevation is it's not necessarily the fittest athlete or the fastest athlete. Sometimes it's the athlete who is either the smartest as far as the pace and the nutrition or the athlete who happens to get a little bit of luck and recognize that, Hey, this is what I'm good at. Mm. Yeah, totally. And there's, yeah. And there's an aspect of, you know, I'm a big believer in sort of like manifestation. You sort of, if you think about that finish line enough, then like you'll, you'll get there like eventually. And, um, you know, that particular day, that 50 K, I remember like, I think it was like, I, my, um, sister-in-law, my brother-in-law came to see me. And so that, that like hiked into the trail and my, my nieces had signs like go Reese. And, um, this was at like K 30 or something. So I had 20 Ks to go. Sorry if I'm talking in kilometers, like you, you probably talk in miles, but, um, I don't know what that equates to in miles, but 30k, just a bit above, just a bit below a marathon. And um I was feeling so bad and thinking like, oh, I want to quit so bad. But um when I saw them, I was like, nah, like I can't um I, I can't quit. Like my little niece has spent like, you know, the night before making this banner and th- this those little things that help you help your mindset go like, nah, I've got to get to the finish here. Like, you know, it's not gonna kill me, it's gonna hurt. Um and the biggest thing, and I tell my athletes this as well, like um, when I'm coaching, like the thing about an ultra marathon is it's so long, you know, you have time to regroup. You know, you, you can stop and walk. Like it's not a 10,000-meter track race. It's like it's a big day if, you, if you're doing sort of, you know, five to ten hours of running. So there is times where you're going to have to sort of like troubleshoot, you know, think about things, stop, you know, yeah figure it out but um yeah it's a very um very good journey and um yeah it's great i think it's interesting <laughs> talking about the experience of training and and feeling bad and how you tell that to your athletes i'm reminded i did my first ironman when i was in graduate school and i you know was getting a doctorate in exercise physiology but it's like i don't know what the heck i'm doing i'm going to hire somebody and i still remember saying you know i just I feel like crap on training. You know, I, I go out and I try to ride a century and I'm the first 30 or 40 miles, my butt hurts. I want to get off the bike. It's like, I'm never going to finish this. And he said, well, what are you going to do uh, before the bike in an Ironman? I said, well, I'm going to swim 2.4 miles. He goes, so how do you feel after the 30 miles of the bike? I said, I feel pretty good. I'm fine for the rest of the ride. He goes, so what are you worried about? That 30 miles is probably about the amount of time the swim is going to take. So by the time you get on the bike, And I think having a coach who has experienced this sort of thing and can tell your athlete, it's like, you know what? You may feel at some point in the race, this is absolutely the worst I ever feel in my life. If I could just get to the start finish line, I'll drop out and never do anything again. 
And literally 10 minutes later, it's like, wow, this is phenomenal. I'm going to quit my job and do this forever. And I don't yeah. think you can coach an athlete in, in endurance or ultra endurance events if you have not at least experienced that at some level, whether it's at the elite level that Nick and Kate have or somebody who is maybe, you know, much slower. I, I'm reminded of a story I read once about a gentleman who was a marathon runner who was diagnosed with cancer and survived after a long treatment, but was never able to run the same. And his comment when he did his first marathon after uh, being uh, given a clean bill of health was, I never realized people at the back of the pack worked just as hard as I did when I was up in the top 10%. Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's a really good point you make as well, because I think as for other people out there that are um, either looking for a coach or aspiring to be a coach, um, yeah, that experience is, um, yeah, like it's very um, helpful as a coach to have that. But in saying that, um, you don't have to be, you know, an elite, like top three on the podium to be a good coach. Or uh, like I tell my athletes, like, yeah, that that person um, that won it, and and her, and the person that came in the middle of the pack or the back, you had you had just as much fun, or you, you went through the same journey. Like um, that person got there quicker, but like you both went through the same journey and experienced the same things, like in a different sort of um, manner. But um, yeah, it's it's more like the whole experience and being able to like identify like these are the things that are going to come up, these are the things that are going to happen. If you happen to be fast, then, you know, that, that's great as well. But, um, yeah, it's definitely not a prerequisite to be, like, a great coach or to, um, yeah, a, a, a something that someone should be using to find a good coach. Like, just the actual experience itself is is enough, I reckon. I have a great friend of mine who's quite an experienced and quite a good triathlete who was really excited telling me about one of his athletes a few years ago because that athlete had actually beat him in the race. It was one of the first times that an athlete had beaten him. And you would think with egos and everything, it would be very easy to say, oh, you know, it's this is terrible. But he was yeah. ecstatic. It's like, you know, I helped him. I gave him insight. And he was able to put that. And he had, he had the best race. And I was initially surprised. And then I realized I'd known him for 15 or 20 years. And I remember 15 or 20 years ago when I was – when I would race and I was significantly slower when you would see this guy after the race and he would come in consistently top five overall, mm. you always had to ask him about his race. He'd always see you and say, how did you do? How was your race? What was your favorite part? And you'd have yeah. to ask him. So I'm curious. I, I want to hear more about the, the run that Nick Baldwin helped you train for, but I'm curious, how was the transition from back pain sufferer oh resistance training helps me now i can run to saying you know i want to i want to coach because running and individual sports can be a very selfish endeavor where it's all about me and anybody mm -hmm. who takes on the coaching mantle is saying okay i can still race i can still be successful but if you care about your athletes and if i suspect if you work with endurance movement you care about your athletes because clearly they do you can tell that with their social media how did you get the idea? It's like, you know, maybe I can be beneficial and help other people as a coach. Um, I think two things like um, coaching in general has always fascinated me. Um, as a, um, like all through my life, I've, I've loved sports and team sport. Like growing up in New Zealand, rugby is a huge, um, a huge sport. And um, I, I played rugby and I, I really loved um 
and still do love watching it. But I was always fascinated, like I would always like um, find, you know, the coach um, interviews afterwards or read up about the different coaches that are coming through or who's the assistant coach here. And um, so coaching's always fascinated me in general. Like I've always found it quite a, um, a, a interesting trade to be, you know, um, arming athletes with, with the information and the tools to achieve like their goals. I think it's a pretty cool um, endeavour. But um what really um, kick-started me was um, just when I didn't have a coach, um, it, like I, I thought, oh, I, I don't, you know, I don't need a coach or, or I don't maybe deserve a coach. I don't know if deserve is the right word because I'm not a, a, pro, a pro athlete. But when I spoke to um, Nick and Kate and, and, and you know them, they're such um, humble people and, and it was like, no, like, if you know, you we could like Nick could totally coach you. Like you don't need to be a pro to be a coach, or you don't need to be on the podium to be a coach to, to be coached. So um, when I when I did go down that that journey myself and experience being coached, just um, how far I I, uh, I went as an athlete and um, just how much it impacted my life. Like um, just the empowerment that I got from how much I learned from Nick. Um, yeah, how how just where it took me as a person um, had such a huge impact on me, like like my mental health and everything, and my confidence. So, you know, I, I just want to do that for other people. To be honest, like um, I think that you know, have being empowered to be able to achieve um, athletic goals that you know you don't think are possible. Um, I think it's hugely impactful for people's lives. Um, and, and people's health like I know that when I did um have this idea of running this ultra by myself this this particular track there was people that thought I was crazy and you know like oh are you sure you want to do that like or you would be able to do that but um I remember Nick never doubted me for a second so um yeah I think that's pretty powerful to to give that to people to give that unwavering support um, so, like, as a as a job or as a endeavor um, or a lifestyle, um, it just appealed to me so much because, yeah, I just want to pay it forward and um, help other people feel like I felt. And can you talk a little <laughs> bit more about that uh, individual ultra that you did? What it was, the distances, and how you got the idea to do something that I understand they also hold to some extent as a race, but you said, no, I want to do it just on my own. Yeah, so there's a there's a race in um in Margaret River, which is in Western Australia. It's called the Margaret River Ultra, which is a 50 mile race, or 80 k's, um, and it and it goes in and out of the this this track, which is called the Cape to Cape. So there's a um the it goes from sort of north, or, you know, down the coast um, from these two beautiful capes. Uh, Dunsborough uh, is one end, and um the uh, Augusta's the other end and um like we could put that uh, a link to that track in the show notes because if you google image it if you're ever traveling in Australia it's like it's amazing even like if you want to hike it it's really um handy to the public to hike it and stuff um but they use parts of that to, for their race but the, the actual track was uh is 130 k's um so I don't know what that is in miles just it's like over 65 over 65 miles so yeah um 
And it was all when, like, COVID was kind of, ra- like, ramping up a bit and races were getting cancelled and then um, I-, I looked at Margaret River Ultra but it sold out and then, um, you know, I was talking to my wife and, and I'd been, like, following a few ultra runners and, and what did appeal to me, and I think this is, like, comes from, like, my time growing up in New Zealand is just um, the adventure aspect of doing an ultra. Like, um, racing's fun and I'm, I'm, I'm very competitive when I do race, like, I... I I do um, go pretty hard, like when I'm when I've got a bib on. But my biggest joy is just like going on an adventure. Like so, I said to like I said to my wife first. I said like, look, like maybe I just want to maybe I'll run the Cape to Cape. Like you know, like it's 130 k's. Um, you know, we could organise it like where you could meet me at certain points and um, you know, like for, to top up my nutrition and things like that. And she was really she thought it was a great idea and yeah cool that sounds awesome and um you know I, I sort of did a bit more research on like what the training might look like and then that's when I went to Nick and I said like you know I got this idea and I was I was really anxious to tell him like because I thought you know he might go oh dude like you know you need a couple of years experience or something like that but he was like yeah great that sounds awesome like you know he was so so pumped on it um and so yeah that was we went through that journey together and um we set up um, a few different like sort of key races going into it um, to prepare me for it. So a couple of 50Ks and, um, yeah, certain training runs. Um, and then um, I have to tell you the story about um, <laughs> because so leading into the Cape to Cape, um, we were looking at the different variables that I would have to train for. And one of them is like there's so much beach sand um, on the track. So the elevation is is not too bad, like it's two and a half thousand meters, um, but there's like a, heaps of um, running on soft sand, um, which is just um, quite horrendous after a while. But um, so leading into that, Nick Nick had um, emailed me. He said, "Man, I found this race. It's um it's a it's a fifty k on the beach down in Dunsville, which is a couple of hours away." I was like, okay, like, um, all right, yeah, let's do it. Like, that'll definitely get me sorted for the the sand training. Um, so this race is in Dunsborough and it starts at um, like three in the morning, and and it's on a particular moon where the moon's full and it's on this like beautiful angle, and um, so it's really fun. And and the the plan was just you know go do the race, um, but just do it at like real like real easy pace. This is just a training round, like just you know have fun take it easy. I was like, yeah, cool, I can do that. So I'm running along and I'm just like taking it real easy and I was, you know, like three hours into the race or something and um, the sun's sort of like this, like a, the moon's looking cool, so I want to take some photos. Like I could see some dolphins in the water and stuff. So I get my phone out and I had like like 14 voice messages and like like, like all these missed calls. I was like, oh, what's, you know, I think I had – I had a freak out thinking oh that's like my wife had had an accident or something and like you know someone's trying to get a hold of me so I, I listened I listened to my voice message like slow down to a walk and um like I'd been pocket dialing the police accidentally as I was running. <laughs> <laughs> so um <laughs> so they'd been hearing like this like you know heavy breathing like like sort of like backpack like maybe like they're probably thinking is this guy being kidnapped or something so I had to call them back, so I called the the Bunbury Police Station and I said, "Look, I'm so sorry. I've I've, I've been pocket dialing you guys." And oh, this is yeah. 
I said, you know, I'm doing it. I'm doing a mar- an ultra marathon, and and then the lady's like, oh, what's a what's an ultra marathon? So I explained to her what what an ultra marathon is, and so I'm talking to this police officer on the phone, and she ends up like, oh. Yeah, maybe turn your phone on to airplane mode and um, good luck for the rest of the race. And uh, so that was a pretty cool, um, pretty funny story. So I thought I'd, I should slide that in there somehow. It's very clear <laughs> that you enjoy the actual act of running and you're not doing the runs just for the t shirt of the award. I'm curious about how much of that is linked to the fact that going back to your back injury, I've had the good fortune, and I'm saying that sarcastically, of having herniated a couple of discs in my back. So I yeah. understand what the pain is like and what it can do to you psychologically, where you think I'm never going to move again, or I'm never going to do this. And you were fortunate enough to find a physiotherapist who said, no, no, this is correctable, et cetera. And I was fortunate enough. But if you just look for typical medical care very often they'll give the messages you have well don't work you know don't move you'll mm-hmm. hurt how much do you think these uh your clear enjoyment of these stories and the adventures and remembering the soft sand is linked to the fact that there was a time a few years ago where maybe your thought was you know i may not be able to pick up my child or go for a walk with my wife at some point because my back pain is so bad yeah totally it's um that that's just changed my whole per- perspective on on life you know um and also that appreciation of of movement and being able to to do it um it is is it's so you know empowering and and yeah that that like sedentary model is is, is so is so driven into us but and as well like you know it doesn't have to be a 50k marathon like um you know yeah as you say picking up your child and and, and my wife and I we were trying for a baby at that like at that point and I was thinking like man and if I don't sort this out I'm not going to be able to pick up my my kid like you know and um so you know like it doesn't have to be super extreme but yeah just that um being able to move is is so important I think um yeah and, and yeah it does bring me an immense amount of joy these days I think yeah I appreciate it a lot more um especially after losing it for a while um now I don't take it for granted so every time I am running or I am moving or um, I'm definitely pretty happy. So we were talking a little bit and you defined at some point when we were talking an ultra marathon is a race or an event that goes longer than the marathon distance. And it can happen either on soft surfaces or hard surfaces with your coaching. Do you work only with athletes who are interested in the ultra marathon distances, or do you work with athletes who do the shorter distances also? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I work with both. So I've got athletes that are, are doing their first ever um, half marathon. Um, I do like specialize in sort of trail running. So um, uh, that, that's where uh, like well, my passion is. Um, so most of my athletes will be, will be trail runners, but um, I'm actually meeting with someone on Sunday that wants to do a, um, a half marathon that's, that's on the road. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally open to, to any, any form of running. But yeah, my specialty is trail and ultra running. I do like, there is like a, diff, you know, as you said, um, people sort of classify ultramarathons as like, you know, that 42, uh, over 42K or 26 miles. Um, but I think like, um, you know, from my personal opinion is like, 
it, it could, anything can really be ultra. Like, um, you know, if if it's, you know, like, for example, if someone does, you know, a 2,000-metre climb, um, but they only go 40Ks, like, that's pretty ultra for me. <laughs> like, that's going to be a big day out. So um, I would encourage people not to get caught up in um, whether it's, you know, you know it's more than 26 miles or not like it's just do do something cool do do an adventure and and you can you can call it an ultra i reckon <laughs> and i think one doing an adventure is your adventure is not necessarily mine i think there's the tendency for people to say well you know what's reese gonna think or what's ben gonna think and i'm reminded a few years ago i had the good fortune to visit a very good friend of mine in salida colorado he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, I'd like to hike. I'd like to do some biking. He goes, do you want to do a 14er, which is a 14,000 foot peak? Uh-huh. And some of them in Colorado are essentially walking or hiking. I'm yeah. like, sure, love to do that. And it was, and he goes, well, it's four and a half miles to the top. And I'm thinking, oh, four and a half miles, that's not bad. But it was starting at 8,900 feet or 9,000 feet and finishing up at 14,200 or something like that. Uh-huh. And you know, eight and a half or nine miles took me about nine and a half or 10 hours. And if you had told me before doing that, that, you know, this is going to take you essentially all day, I would have said, yeah, you're crazy. I'm, I'm pretty fit. But I remember as I started to struggle when we got above the tree line, above 12,000 feet, my buddy's comment was, yeah, I wondered when you slow down, I, you, I thought you went out a little fast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember I mean, what I remember is, unfortunately, you know, with digital cameras and cell phones, you know, you have great pictures. I do remember the time, but more than that, I remember the fun that it was. It was an adventure because it was something new and it's something novel. And I think your description of picking to do an ultra trail or run a trail on your own versus a race, even though race is enjoyable, some people may not be competitive or they may be fearful of what people think. And being able to do something on your own gives you the opportunity, as you did, to stop and talk to the police and say, hey, I was pocket dialing you. Whereas if you were in a race, there might be the incentive, well, I can't stop now. You know, I'm, I might drop to sixth place or 66th place or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think too often, I know some, some people that I interview, and I don't know how old you are, they get to the age of 35 or 40, somewhere in there. And the competition is important, but to them, the more important thing is doing whatever the activity is that they love. I had the Mm. opportunity to interview uh, Samantha Wood, who's a physical therapist in Colorado who does ultra runs. Um, She's placed somewhere in the top five in uh, the Leadville 100. Sam, I apologize if I don't have the the place right, but I know it's very high up like that. And I remember her saying, it's like, you know, I train two or three times a year really hard. The rest of the time I go in the mountains and I play. And yeah. It sounds like from what you're describing, you may have a prescribed workout or a prescribed heart rate, but it's not a workout. It is a, it's a play session, even though runners will call it, I'm doing a workout. Am I wrong with that uh, thought? No, they're totally correct. And, and, and that, um, yeah, going back to that, that Cape, the adventure that I did, the Cape to Cape, the, the experiences that you get, um, yeah, through that, through doing your own adventure um, and curating your own adventure are so, so far different to, to that race experience. Um, as you say, like you're not thinking about place or, um, and 
you're actually, I feel like a lot more present. Like, um, so when, when you do a race, like you, you know, and, and if you're being, if you're going, if you're going hard and you're sort of competing, it's more like head down, bum up, you know, just, you know, power on and, you know, stick to your nutrition plan. But, you know, when I did the Cape to Cape, it was like I had a group of friends that would meet me every few hours and they would, you know, I would get to them and they would um, have a seat for me and have all this food. And um, and it was one of the best days ever. I remember um, the weather was so great and I just would be taking in everything like so, so much more than I would in a race. And, um, and, and there's something to be said for like a, a point-to-point kind of pilgrimage or something, you know. It's like there's something innately human to um, to 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 journey somewhere um, on foot and and sort of get to get to an end end game. And um, the people that that help you along the way, because I would say that ultra endurance is is, is a team sport. Like you need people to help you. Like I had my wife and I had a handful of good friends that were. Um, you know, sometimes they were running with me um, because I got to a point where um, I got a I got an ITB like overuse injury um, at about K ninety, so just just shy of a hundred K. Things things started to go pretty sideways, and I, I was wasn't feeling very good, and um, that was like a really dark, dark, dark place that I went to, but. You know, my friends were there and they were like, nah, we're, you know, we're getting you through this. Like, and one of my friends was a physiotherapist and I said to him, like, like, cause I had this pain in my knee. It was, felt like someone was like stabbing a knife in the side of my knee and it was sort of going up the side of my leg. And it's like, what's going on? He said, oh, you've probably just like, you know, there's an ITB overuse sort of thing happening here. You know, um, I said, oh, is it going to, you know, impact me for the rest of my life? Like, if I keep running, he was like, "No, nah, you you you're going to be out for a while, but um, you can you can finish. It's just going to hurt." So I was like, "That's all I needed to hear." I was like, "All right, um, put do what you can, tape it up, tape whatever you can up, and and we'll keep going." And it was literally like the um. So my friend Grant that did that, and um, my other buddy Nick, um, they hadn't planned on sort of like jumping on course and running with me. But the sun was going down at that point. I was in a pretty dark place, and and they were like, "No, nah, we need to be with our buddy." So they had turns at running with me to the end, and we had about um, just just under a marathon to go um, to finish. And it, like a lot of it was on sand and and, and in the cliffs and stuff. So um, they just jumped on board, and you know that's the type of thing that at a race, like you know, you would have to have prescribed paces or. Um, I don't know. Maybe a, maybe a, a doctor might have been there and said it's probably not a good idea to go, like keep going or something. Or I don't know. But like, it, there's just something different about doing it as a, as an adventure, and um, yeah, something yeah, extremely satisfying. And those people that I did that with, um, you know, there's a bond that you that you share that you always share. You know, like um, you know, two of my friends, Matt and Fee, that were there with me, both ran with me that day both crewed with me like helped me take my socks off that day like you know um we'd only known each other a while just through the running scene but now we're like we're like best friends now you know Mm -hmm. and like my wife and I went to their wedding not a while Mm -hmm. back and um yeah you just form like lifetime bonds when you do something like that with other people whenever I have the opportunity to interview coaches I always like to ask 
what's the best type of athlete or what athlete is do you work the best with and what type of athlete do you struggle to work with that maybe you aren't uh you aren't the best choice just because of the way your personality is it doesn't mesh well with that particular athlete um i think the bit the best athlete that like and not nothing to do with ability so i think any ability because it all sort of rolls into one and the same for me i think um but just a willingness to to um to put the time in and an openness i think as a coach um i'm very open to um to criticism i'm open to learn i'm open to um to to improve um constantly but i think that the athlete needs to be open as well um because if if they aren't then um you know progress is you know may not happen just as well um i think in in all forms of life you know you need to be open you need to be you know willing to you know accept some learning so i think yeah the bit the best athletes i work with are um you know people that are willing to to be open and i'm fortunate that you know people that want to do ultra marathons are pretty open to like you know what do you got? Like, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever to get through this kind of thing. So, um, so I'm, I've been pretty lucky that way. And, um, I haven't, um, you know, run into any, um, any athletes that, that I haven't gelled with or anything yet. So I'm reminded the physical therapist notes that I snuck a look at or the physiotherapist, if we were in Australia said the yeah. patient should do well, as long as he listens to me and doesn't do too much. So endurance athletes have a reputation, rightfully so for most cases of, you know, if a little bit is good, a lot is better. How do you, with your athletes, impress on them that sometimes more is not better, sometimes less is better? Yeah, um, I'm a big believer in quality over quantity. Um, so, you know, um, I definitely just I just enjoy having open conversations about um about that sort of thing and I think and I I I remind athletes that um you know it's my job to get you to the start line healthy and fit and happy um if that means that we have to dial back the the volume because um you have you know a lot of work commitments on at the moment um your baby's not sleeping you've got a little niggle that we need to like be mindful of then um you know that that that's where i come in and and i think that's that's what the the benefits of having a coach are because yeah as endurance athletes and i'm guilty of this myself as well like you know you you miss a run or you miss your long run or something then you try and make up for it the next week um which is which is not not how um not how it should be done and um i also like to talk to my athletes about you know don't look at what other people are doing you know um like instagram's you know it's great in some ways but it's also you know you're seeing things that that aren't necessarily the norm you know like um you're looking at people doing volume like you know 200k weeks or you know um 100 mile plus weeks and yeah that that's great for them but that that's not great for you like, you know or if it is great for you then would be doing it you know like i would prescribe you a 100 mile week if i thought that, that was what would be good for you but i don't think that would be good for you so um like it it's a very personalized thing and i think that 
um, there is a lot of noise in the ultra world and, and in the ultra endurance world, whether it's running or triathlon or whereas, yeah, high volume, sort of like hard workouts, big days, like, you know, um, but, you know, I don't believe that that's necessarily the answer. And, um, you know, I think that holistically um, you need to look at performance. It's not just, um, oh, let's do a, a massive amount of volume. It's like, okay, well, that could have a benefit uh, or, or um have an impact on your on your immune system, on your relationship with your wife or your um, husband or your partner um, or your children, um, which will then, you know, have an impact on your mental health and that will impact your performance, you know. Um, they, these little micro things are, are all a big part of the picture. It's not just a, like a linear scale of like, you know, more is better. Um, I'm a big, big believer in quality over quantity. I think one of the things really imparting is the fact that I like you want to get to the starting line healthy. And it sounds like what you're saying is you want to train athletes. So when they finish the event, if they're faster or slower than they intended, it's not a life altering experience where, you know, they lost their wife, they lost their job. They didn't get that promotion because really, you know, I've done probably 250 or 300 races throughout my life. I could not tell you where any of my finish medals are, but I can tell you when I pull up my uh, my old pictures or the things like that, it immediately the memories come back as you were saying. It's like, oh, that's where the sand was or something like that. Mm. Going forward, you've done this neat uh, individual event. Any bucket list items or things that you think, you know, at some point in the, in the ultra world, this is something I want to do. Do you want to attack an Ironman triathlon, so, some sort of a trail marathon or what? Um, yeah, so well, it's, uh, there's a there's a big list, but um, I don't know the like traveling's. We really, my wife and I, are really keen to um, to travel in the next couple of years. Um, uh, my daughter is um, 15 months old at the moment, so maybe like when she's like four years old or um, something like that, we might try and do a bit of like travel. So. There's some pretty awesome races in, in um, America um, that I'd love to do, like um, Hard Rock in, in, um, in Colorado is um, a pretty pretty big bucket list for me. Like um, I'm a big fan of like um, local small town races. And um, do you know much about that race? I, I think it's um, I know. I can't I know. yeah. So it's in Silverton. Um, yes. In, in Colorado and um, yeah you got to apply for a lottery to get in it doesn't have a huge um, start list and but it's like in a small town and um, the, the town really get behind it and it's obviously um, it's at it's at altitude and it's in the mountains and um, yeah just one of those sort of grassroots races that's just become like a, a rite of passage for, for runners so that's that would be pretty cool to experience and I know I'd love to see that part of the world like um, the Rockies and um, have a look all through Colorado and stuff. Um, you know, like there is some big races that would be cool to do, like UTMB and stuff. But um, you know, I do like I, I am drawn to the smaller um, sort of grassroots races. But the other, and also you mentioned Ironman. I think you know, uh, working with Nick and Kate, I think it's inevitable that one day I may <laughs> dip my toe into that area. But um, yeah, maybe when my daughter goes to school or something. Because I, I can't comprehend trying to train three sports at the moment. 
We've been talking with Reese Crosswell. He is an endurance runner and an endurance coach and somebody who clearly enjoys making movement part of his lifestyle and not just an activity. Reese, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live and tell us about your journey and adventures. And we look forward to seeing when you eventually do do that uh, 100 miler in Colorado. Cool. Thanks a lot, Ben. It's been, been great chatting. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live wherever you find podcasts or on our website, www.movingtolive.com. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live and check out our movement tip and lifestyle hack videos that we produce three times a week, along with our once-weekly video Labrador lessons, because we can all learn from the dogs. All of these are ways to promote the idea that movement is a lifestyle, not just an activity. Until next time, keep on moving.